Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio as the further reality of a no-deal Brexit filters through the corridors of the European Union and it seems increasingly clear that Boris Johnson really is very much on a mission to leave. Do or die. He said it uh, and he obviously meant it. According to The Guardian this morning, Downing Street has completely bamboozled the burghers of Brussels by insisting on a change to the deal they are still refusing to renegotiate. Now Juncker, Tusk, Barnier and the rest of them are trapped in a cul-de-sac of their own making. Either change the deal so that we actually like it or accept no deal on October the 31st. It's a rather delicious thing to watch, isn't it? The panic is setting in with all the Remainers because, after all, if the EU has now accepted that no deal is the default position, why won't Parliament and the MPs who don't want to leave the EU accept it as well? Surely they're going to have to, aren't they? 03444991000. You can almost hear uh, the scrambling going on behind the scenes with Messrs Camp Campbell, uh, Adonis and all the other sort of remoning crowd who are trying their very, very best to stop Brexit from actually happening at all. Coming up later on in the show, we want your parking nightmare stories as news filters out through company reports that private parking firms are raking in millions of pounds from all of us each month. Parking Eye has doubled its profits in just three years to 14 million quid and they're operating at hospitals, at railway stations, at shopping centres uh, and all over the place in private capacities whereby you don't actually have to pay them at all. It is literally a licence to print money. Something needs to be done. You can email your stories to us. You can uh, tweet your stories to us as well, of course, at Talk Radio, 0344 499 1000. Also, we'll be investigating whether evacuating Whaley Bridge residents was actually necessary and why Dame Barbara Windsor wants the government to sort out Britain's dementia care scandal. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So the Guardian of all of the most Remain Remain newspapers has said this on the front page. PM intent on hard Brexit and has no desire to renegotiate, EU is told. Basically, the Guardian story from an unnamed diplomat, haven't forfend that they should use unnamed sources, apparently uh, says that the uh, diplomats have told the burghers of Brussels that uh, basically this government has no intention of accepting the deal that is currently on the table. They will not compromise on it 
at all. Uh, David Frost, the government's new chief advisor on Europe, is said to have sought discussions on how negotiations could be reset after the UK, in their words, crashes out on the 31st of October. So they're basically having conversations behind the scenes with European diplomats saying, look, we're leaving October the 31st. Either you give us a deal that we like the look of, or we're going anyway, so you better start making some plans for what we do after that. I think it's fantastic. I think it's very, very uh, deliberate. I think the policy uh, has been proven to work. Let's talk to George Pascoe Watson now, former political editor of The Sun, uh, now consultant, of course, with the Portland Group. Uh, George, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Hi, good morning, Mike. Very, very kind of you to join us this morning. Now, it looks to me, and I've been saying this, you and I haven't really spoken since Boris has ascended to the uh, the highest uh, job in the land as, as a prime minister of this nation. Uh, it seems as though the policy that he is pushing and the line that he is taking uh, is working. He seems to have got everybody very rattled. Well, there's no question here, Mike, that the EU is actually the body which is forcing Britain into a no-deal position. There's no question about that. Mm. Uh, the fact that they are not uh, prepared to budge in any way and they're making it quite clear, I think, is sad. Uh, I think that they will be, in the end, the people who will uh, end up with a no-deal because there really is no other way. Boris has made it clear uh, uh, through his many uh, ways of communicating that he does want to negotiate, he does want to have a deal, uh, but it's the EU who said no. I think Boris is in exactly the right position. He's doing something which Theresa May never did, which is to put no deal firmly on the table. And I think what you will hear and see in the coming days and weeks is a much bigger ramping up of communication from the government to prepare for no deal as we head that way. Some people will say that's bluff. I don't think he's bluffing. I don't think he's bluffing either. And there's a very interesting uh, development as well on the horizon because one of the things that he has said, of course, in the past is that the no deal uh, is on the table partially because the backstop has to disappear and the backstop can be done away with, according to Boris Johnson. There are those who say... You can't possibly have a hard border on Northern Ireland and it's the only way to do it, except for the fact uh, that David Davis, a good friend of this particular station, was on Julie Hartley Brewer's show this morning. He was talking about going to another container port and watching what goes on there uh, as far as goods coming into this country from outside of the European Union. I also went round the uh, port of Avonmouth a few months ago where they have millions of tonnes of goods coming in all the time from all over the world, mostly from outside the European Union. Uh, and there's not a customs officer in sight because, of course, this idea that there are men in uniforms, barbed wire, barriers and all the rest of it is very 20th century. It's not how things are done anymore. Um, everything is sort of on, on, online these days. Customs paperwork isn't paperwork at all. It's, uh, it's online documents and things are cleared without uh, people having to go into porter cabins or talk to men in uniforms at barbed wire fences. You know, so, so a lot of the stuff that's being whipped up at the moment is being whipped up by Remainers who simply cannot accept that Britain's voted to leave the European Union and we're getting out on the 31st. David Davis there talking to Julie Hartley Brewer on The Breakfast Show this morning, making it very, very clear that at Avonmouth, which is one of the biggest container ports in Europe, there are loads and loads of goods coming in on boats from all over the world. Boats coming in from outside the European Union, coming from the West Indies, coming from the South American continent, coming from North America, probably coming in from Africa as well at that point. The point is, we do not need a hard border in Northern Ireland. This whole backstop argument that the backstop is the problem and no way can we get a better deal from the European Union uh, if they are 
are being told to take the backstop out. It's quite simply untrue. And the Remainers, who are now absolutely being forced into a corner, are surely going to have to agree with the European Union, because if the European Union say that they accept that no deal is now the way forward, then surely Parliament has to do exactly the same. Uh, George, I must ask you, how is it possible for Parliament to now say, well, we can't uh, go with no deal, we're going to bring the government down, we're going to vote against it, when the European Union have already more or less accepted it? Well, that's a really good point. Uh, there's an awful lot of confusion being talked around here. Some people are claiming that Parliament can still stop no deal. I think that's highly unlikely. Yeah. If for no other reason, Mike, then the timings don't work. Uh, it is absolutely possible for Boris to pull down uh, government, go to a general election, and in a period of time, there will be no effective government in this country, and that is the point where we simply leave the EU on October the 31st, come what may. Um, you know, some MPs bravely think that they can put a government in waiting in place, but I think that's highly unlikely. Yes, exactly right. And the other thing that I think is very clear at the moment is that Dominic Cummings is running a very tight ship. And you know a thing or two uh, about the way that the inner workings of Downing Street can be very important to the outer workings, if you know what I mean. He seems to be uh, absolutely clamping down on all the special advisers. He's putting pressure on the civil servants to make sure that they're not, um, you know, slacking on doing their jobs properly towards getting Brexit done. Um, and he really seems to be ruling uh, with an iron fist. Well, there's no question that uh, one of the key things about Dominic Cummings as a figure is that he is a man who gets stuff done. Yeah. He knows how to pull the levers and uh, persuade people to actually do things. He's not interested in uh, talk and he's not interested in the writing of memos uh, and, and, and sort of chin-stroking discussions. He is brutally uh, uh, focused on delivering on the, October the 31st. Uh, and that really matters because having a driver behind these things is often the, the difference uh, that, that, that is required. And all the people who are serving in Boris Johnson's government now are of no doubt whatsoever that the only priority is October the 31st and leaving with a deal. And if no deal can be, is, is, is the solution, then so it shall be. I have no doubt that we will absolutely leave. I think you'll also see, by the way, lots of build-up of uh, spending pledges. I think we'll see more law and order. I think we'll see some education education and, and yet more health pledges coming out in the coming days and weeks. Why? Because Boris Johnson is also smart enough to be preparing for a general election. And what he wants to do there is prepare constituencies where the Labour Party may be weak uh, for potential Conservative uh, takeover. And that is what he's planning to do uh, in the grand scheme of things, to try and win a proper Commons majority so that he can actually lead this country. Well, what I find interesting, and, and again from your experiences, former political editor of the Fleet Street newspaper and now uh, senior partner in, in a communications company, you know, the, 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 the sort of the narrative is all with Boris now. He's making it happen. He's doing the business, whereas people who are critical of him are sort of falling by the wayside. I mean, I watched Jeremy Corbyn uh, yesterday talking about how, uh, you know, when the Whaley Bridge situation needed to be sorted out. Well, he's three days too late because it already looks like it's now being sorted out. Um, when he starts cr being critical of the money being uh, given to the NHS yesterday, nearly £2 billion and whining that it's not new money. Well, who cares where the, whether it's new money or old invested money or whatever it is? It's £2 billion. Surely everybody should be saying, well, that's good, isn't it? 
Well, this is exactly right, Mike. What we have now is a prime minister with charisma, with personality, with direction and drive. Uh, and that's what you need. You often need somebody with a direction and a goal and an ambition who doesn't uh, get caught up in the, in the smallness of life, but actually focuses on the big ticket items. There's a real sense of drive and positivity behind what he's trying to do. I'm not saying he's going to be able to pull everything off. That would be a magic trick too far for anybody. But it does make the machine move a lot more positively and in one direction yeah. when the conductor of the orchestra has a great flamboyance and a character and a drive. And people want to get on board with doers rather than talkers. Exactly right. And also, don't let anybody be under the misapprehension that I'm not going to give Boris Johnson a good going over when he deserves it, because I will. You know, there is an, an, a sort of an unfortunate uh, polarisation of politics that's happened in this country where people think people like me are just kind of, you know, flag wavers for the Tory party, which I'm very much not, because I certainly wasn't one for Theresa May. And, and I'm certainly not a flag waver for everything to do with Brexit. If Boris Johnson missteps, if he makes a mistake, I will have him for it. It's as simple as that. But it is lovely to see somebody doing their job and actually getting on with something rather than sort of apologising for it all the time. Well, and it's very exciting uh, to see somebody who's got boldness and, and braveness and courage and a decision, uh, whether it's popular or not, to go for something. We've been so starved of that kind of uh, approach for so many years, firstly with David Cameron as he sort of plodded his way mm. through a, a coalition government with the terribly drippy left, uh, lefty liberals, um, and then a very short period of time when he had his own majority. Now we've got a guy who's got no majority but he's still prepared to take brave <laughs> steps. Now, yes. what he's trying to do there is get through this Brexit period and then have a general election where he can change the game, get some parliamentary numbers behind him, get a proper majority, and then he can begin to change the country in the way that he wants. But, uh, you know, you've got to take your hat off and say this is much more exciting, much more interesting. Uh, and finally, we've got a guy who's got a bit between his teeth and an opinion. Well, exactly right. And I think we're going to see some uh, interesting manoeuvrings going on over in Brussels, don't you? Because they're clearly slightly uh, concerned now that they are going to be, as I said, uh, stuck up in a, in, a, in a cul-de-sac of their own making because they've now been given sort of Hobson's choice. They either have to provide Boris Johnson with a better deal, uh, which inevitably will, will be taking away the backstop, or uh, they'll just have to accept no deal. Well, I think they will accept no deal, and I think a lot of uh, EU leaders in the 27 member countries are quite uncomfortable about the way the Brussels Commission and Michel Barnier have put them into this cul-de-sac. And I think privately, a lot of these countries will be wanting to do uh, bilateral deals with the UK on trade because their own populations, their own economies uh, de demand it. You know, there are a lot of, for instance, uh, Polish lorry drivers, is a massive industry in, in Poland, mm. who do most of their work in the UK, uh, and they will not take kindly to being shut out um, if, if that happens because of, um, you know, the EU's intransigence and refusal to budge. That's just one example. There are many, many more. I'm not saying everything's going to be plain sailing, uh, and definitely, the, you know, there will be losers on both sides. But I think the, the dynamic in Brussels is very interesting to watch, and, of course, we're going moving to a new commission who will be taking over the reins of power at the time when we would be hoping to uh, create a new EU trading uh, partnership. And I talk to you about this all the time, George, whenever we have an opportunity. Business is obviously the driver of an awful lot of the economy in this country, small business in particular. Um, is there a change in mood? Because the last time you and I spoke before Boris took over, there was still a kind of uncertainty, there was still a little bit of doubt, a little bit of uh, sort of a lack of confidence, if you like. Is that changing? 
Well, it's a little bit early to say. Uh, the reality is at least people know there's clarity here of what the Prime Minister is intending to do and that there's absolutely no doubt that no deal is where he wants to go. And that clarity means that businesses know what it is they need to do. The difficulty, of course, is that businesses were led up the garden path back in March when we were meant to leave the last time. Uh, and and uh, spent a lot of money in preparation for that May date, and it didn't happen. And they are you know, questioning whether or not to spend the same sort of money again. But I think that that will change in the coming days and weeks, and people will be pretty clear that we are leaving without a deal, and they'll make that preparation. You know, there has been a change in the value of sterling uh, over the last week or so, which is uncomfortable to some. That's but a it's very also... nice way of describing it, I must say. You should be the <laughs> Chancellor. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it's also been good for some. Yeah. So uh, not everybody loses in these situations. Uh, but what that tells us is the market is pretty clear that we are going to be leaving it without a deal and, and that Britain should be prepared for that. You know, business likes one thing alone and it likes certainty. You can plan around certainty. You can't plan around uncertainty. And Boris is a great communicator and has left nobody in any doubt about what his intentions are. And that is, in some small measure, comforting to business. Yes, quite. Now, one final thing. We're going to be talking about this a little bit later on in the show, but Lord Ashcroft's poll yesterday, which I completely ignore, basically, on the grounds that I was once told by a pollster, anything less than a sample size of 2,000 people is not worth the paper it's written on. This was an online poll conducted by Lord Ashcroft of 1,007 people, I believe, uh, which has led to a very narrow suggestion that some people in Scotland would prefer independence over uh, the staying in the in the United Kingdom. I'm not buying it, for one, but, of course, Nicola Sturgeon's making hay and saying, well, this proves that, you know, Scotland wants independence and we need another referendum. Well, let's see the colour of the money when it really counts. She is bound to say that when a survey like that comes out. But the reality is, if she was really pushing for it, she would be making a much more hay about it. She'd be making much more of song and dance about it. And I think that's because... Uh, yes, it is true that uh, if Britain leaves without, no, without a deal, uh, there is a real chance that uh, opposition to the union and a preference to leave the United Kingdom will grow. I think that's pretty clear. Mm. At this stage, I don't think they're in that boat. Don't forget, of course, um, that it would have to be down to Boris Johnson as the British Prime Minister to sanction another referendum on the union in Scotland and uh, nothing can be done without his permission. And it's definitely not in his agenda uh, to allow the breakup of the union. Well, it certainly is not in, in, in his thought process, it would seem, either. George, thank you very much indeed. George Pascoe Watson there telling us uh, about what is going on outside the Downing Street bubble. 1 size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000. Lady Alicia has joined the call to have a party uh, on Friday the 1st of November. Let's have street parties, as Mike Graham says. Let's do it, uh, she says. Um, Jeremy says uh, on the front page of... Uh, oh, sorry, on the on the front page of my Twitter talking about the uh, Scottish Independence poll. Uh, is that why the poll showed 52% support for it and 45% voted for it last time? Sounds like a lot of noise. I think that's true. I mean, certainly there were lots of polls before the last Scottish Independence referendum in which it was suggested that uh, leave uh, the Europe the, the UK was going to win and in fact uh, they didn't leave and in fact they lost altogether uh, Alan says what price freedom a case of Sussex sparkling white wine shared with friends and family on the 31st of October and Gary says will remainers soon be called rejoiners that could be the new phrase for them couldn't it oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand let's speak to Nicola uh, who's in Newport wants to talk about the dementia problems in society Nicola hi very good morning Hi. Hi, thanks for calling. What do you want to tell us? Um, I was my father's carer. Um, he had vascular dementia and right. has his illness um, increased rapidly in the last six months of his life. Um, it was very hard to, like, entertain him in the house during the day. Sure. Um, there was nothing really we could do. He just wanted to wander and all the time. Yes. Um, so we found there was private prov- uh, provision, that uh, a day centre. Mm. So um, he would go there, like, ten till four, um, but obviously, we had to fund that at the cost of like two hundred pound a week. Right. Okay. And how long um, did you have to do um, that for? Um, for about five months, right. um, because unfortunately his illness took on and he passed away. That's quite um, a lot of money, though, it isn't it? It is. Um, social services do in Newport do provide the same provision. Um, however, the, the waiting list is humongous. Right. And he did go with the social services um, when one day a week, um, but then we had to also pay an additional £80 a week because we had to have carers in twice a, uh, twice a day mm. to help us. Right. Um, so on top of the private provision, we were also paying social services as well, but the differences from the social service day centre to the private day centre were enormous. The private day centre was a godsend to us because it gave us a bit of respite, but sure. it also helped my dad. Yes. Um, well, that's what I was saying before about it would be nice, I think, because my father had uh, a dementia as well before he died, and mm-hmm. he was sounds similar to your father. He he in in the end he just kind of expired after a while, but he couldn't yeah. stay he couldn't stay at home anymore. His, his wife was still alive, but she was elderly because he was like your dad. Mm-hmm. He kept wandering off. You know, police kept picking him up on the motorway and stuff and bringing him back. And in the end, it's very stressful for everybody involved, isn't it? Well, yeah, um, like he just, his entire interests in things just completely evaporated. Yeah. Um, but when he went to the day centre, because he had that one-on-one, um, I, I guess, care all day in in terms of just, I don't know, doing simple things like arts and crafts sure. and 
um, you know, just playing with the ball. Like, he really came out of himself. Yeah. And he really enjoyed it there. Um, we couldn't never put him into a care provision because I made that promise to my dad. But also, obviously, as you know, with dementia, when they have one big move from their home into a care home, it, it can their illness can just yeah. deteriorate it rapidly because their surroundings change. No, of course. Um, and I, I just wonder... I just wonder whether some of these charities who collect so much money um, could use some of that money to set up centres like that, which could be used by people like yourselves and families like your, your own, but for maybe a bit less money. I think so, definitely. Um, and also, I think sometimes people do forget about the carers and kind of like what they are going through. Yeah. Um, because obviously it's, it is so stressful for, for the actual person with dementia, but to see that person change into somebody completely different, and it's like that they've already passed, if that makes sense. It's horrible, like, yeah. It's awful. Yeah. yeah, it really yeah. is. It's hard to explain um, to people bef unless they've been through it. Yeah. And, and I mean, you're yeah. lucky in a way, Nicola, that you and the rest of your family came through it sort of unscathed if they did, because a lot of families don't. A lot of families find that the stress and the pressure on them individually means that they end up breaking up in some way. Yeah, that, that's very true. And um, my mother didn't kind of never fully understood the full effect of dementia. Mm. So we would have very heated arguments about how to care for dad right. because you just didn't understand. But because but more information and more education of people is, is, is really needed because people don't understand. And when we were in public places, my dad used to like like to wave and say hello to like kids and stuff yeah. because he, he, he's a bit of a kid himself. Sure. Um, but people would be very weary of him, and I always used to wear like a little dementia badge. Right, I'd be like, oh, it's okay. He's not, you know, he's not a predator. He's just. I know. Just it's shocking, really. It's such a sad story, and it so often happens to. There'll be families listening to this, Nicola. Now I can promise you, who absolutely have had exactly the same experience, and it just seems to me that you could all help each other, and we could all help each other if we were able to meet somewhere, talk somewhere, take our uh, mm -hmm. ageing relatives, and and just have a even a few hours respite, you know. Yeah, the Alzheimer's Society do do um, like cafes and things, and, yeah. and they try and encourage carers and, this, and the dementia patients to go to them. Um, but there's different... We did take Dad to one once in his better days, yes. and there's different degrees of different levels, if that makes sense, of where the illness is at. And my, my, it was too much for my dad. He just... He, he didn't like it at all. So, so we came away from there. Right. Um, but definitely more awareness about day centres, that social services, there are provisions for people if they need day centres. These day centres are available through social services, but they're not very forthcoming with the information. No, okay. um, so well, well, listen, Nicola, thank you so much for calling. It's a fantastic call, um, really heartfelt, and, and something that must... If you're listening to Nicola there, you must feel for everybody who has to go through what she went through. And you also, of course, have to have sympathy for uh, the Alzheimer's patient or the dementia patient themselves, but the family as well. And we definitely need to do something here. We can, I'm sure, come up with better ideas for care, even if it's temporary for some of these families and for the way that they have to, to deal with it single-handedly on their own, uh, sometimes because they don't have the money to do what Nicola did, even though, um, you know she was able to do so. Don't think everybody else can. We're going to talk now, though, uh, to a gentleman by the name of Adrian Ogden, uh, who's a resident of Whaley Bridge, the town that has been evacuated, of course, up there uh, in Derbyshire because of the dangers uh, of a reservoir bursting after a dam uh, broke and uh, basically was threatening to overrun the, the, the town with water uh, and flooding. Adrian, a very good morning to you. Thank you very much for joining us.
Oh, you're welcome, mate. How are you? Um, I'm very good. Now, you've been evacuated out of your home for quite a while now. How long since you've been in your own home? Yeah, I left, I left my home on Thursday morning, went to work, um, and then got the car around about 11. But, right. Uh, there was a serious problem with the dam. Um, and chances are I was going to be allowed back to my house. And, right. um, and then about 2 o'clock when I, when I finished work, yeah, I was told that I definitely couldn't go back. Um, right. So I've been staying with parents um, since then. I've not been... Well, I went back on Sunday night because I went to the residence meeting over at Chapel on the Frith. Um, just wanted to see what was going on, really, okay. and uh, get a bit more information. Uh, but, yeah, I've not been back since. So this is day five, in other words. When, when do you think you're going to be allowed back in? There's a meeting today, I think, isn't there? That's right, yeah, there is a meeting today. Um, hopefully there'll be more information. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think anybody really wants to say a definite time, um, you know, because it could drag on a little bit longer. But um, by all accounts, the operations are drained. The, the reservoir is coming on uh, out of steam. Weather's sort of held back. So hopefully next day or two with a bit of luck. Perhaps looking at the weekend more. And how and how have you, how have you coped? I mean, have you have you got enough stuff with you? Is it is it tricky? Have you got family? I mean, how does it work? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a nightmare. I mean, I, I, like I say, I left for work on Thursday morning. No idea what was going to on. Right, going to happen. I literally had my uniform in my bag and a can of deodorant. And that's it. Mm. <laughs> God, I got to work and suddenly think I've got to change of clothes. So I, I've, I've been out on Friday. Unfortunately, I had the day off on Friday. I bought some clothes, a phone charger, you know, things like that. Yeah, you know, just essentials. Um, I'm fortunate because I've got family not too far away and I can go and live with them and, uh, you know, they're putting up with me, I suppose, as much as I'm putting up with them. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you know, um, uh, you just got to get on with it. I mean, what can you do? It's, it's one of them things. Well, you must. And what about for, for people who don't have family nearby? Where, where are they all being put up then? Um, I, I, I think a lot of people... I, I, I think people have been put up in uh, hotels over in Buxton. I know some people have been put up in hotels there. I'm not sure... The financial uh, implications of that to them um, um, at all, but I do know most people have been uh, have got close family yeah. and, and are staying with various friends. And there's been a lot of offers of you know people, uh, local people from neighbouring towns and villages saying, "Listen, I've got I've got accommodate. If you need something, give me a ring. Yeah. Send me a message." So there's a great you know it does have a good spirit in that in that respect. The village, you know, there's a lot of people prepared to help other people. So. Um, and what I mean, there's a couple of stories recently that, that must be slightly troubling. One that that uh, there's some looters been spotted in the town who have come in and taken advantage of the fact that people are not in their homes. And also, uh, a lot of people who have decided not to evacuate and have stayed in the town and have got quite a lot of sort of uh, criticism from the police. Yeah, well, it, yeah, well, they're going to get criticism from the police. I mean, when we were at the meeting, the police officer in charge, he did raise that point, saying, you know, these people are putting themselves in danger, um, and and now. My, my rescue team are also in danger because they're going checking on mm. them. And, and she's right, really. You know, uh, it's a free country, though. People are, you can do whatever you want in this country. And, 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 and if they choose to stay, they need to understand the implications and, and, and realise, you know, it, it, they're endangering themselves and other people. But, you know, like I say, it's a free country, so it's, you can't force people to leave the house. No, uh, you can't. But, I mean, the other, the other... Sorry, go on. Well, with regards to the looting, somebody did raise that point at the meeting. And, and just said, listen, you know, I, I've heard that there has been people spotted, you know, what's being done about it. And the police are telling us that they're flying drones over the village, trying to keep it, you know, keeping an eye on everything. Um, so whether or not people are doing that, I'd like to think they're not, but unfortunately that's the world that we live in, and there's possibly a chance that some people are doing that. Yeah, there is. Like that, I mean... You know, there's, there's roadblock here. You know, I actually feel my, my, my particular property is probably... 
safer now than it's ever been. You know, I've got the, the eyes of the national press all over the village. You know, <laughs> well, exactly <laughs> right. Drones, but I mean, the one, the, the worry I suppose is, and some people have started to ask this question: is was it a bit? Were, were they a bit overzealous and a bit kind of quick to get everybody to get out of the town? Because quite, you know, quite possibly, for yeah. a year, for a week now, we've been hearing that you know the the the, the floods may come. The the, the the dam has broken and the reservoir may be breached. They've been dropping sandbags and stuff like that. You know, um, I don't know whether... what they, If they say to you, you can now go back, are you going to feel like, well, nothing really happened? Well, yeah, quite possibly, yeah. Um, but I suppose they're in a no-win situation there, aren't they? You know, it, it'd only be, their actions would only be justified if that dam breaks and it washes through now. And they say, well, there you go, we, we did the right thing. You know, there's no way of knowing, is there? Um, the, the weather were terrible last weekend i mean yeah. the week before it was glorious and and within three or four days you know that that reservoir is well it's, it's overflowing so it was unprecedented the, the 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 weather um so like i said i don't really think there's any way of knowing and they're obviously erring on the side of caution they um, are and they still are you know i wouldn't want to be the person responsible to say okay yeah everything's fine you can all go back to your property now but the trouble is, I mean, I had, the, I had the misfortune of having a house once in Wiltshire that flooded like three times in a week. And after a while, every time it rains, you're, st you're standing there looking out the window just going, is it going to happen again? I mean, will you now think about moving because you're... Uh, well, yeah, possibly. I mean, uh, I don't really know. I, I, I possibly would think about it, but I'm, 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 I'm not sure. Um, you know, <laughs> property prices might crash now because of this. You know, I can't... So well, that's the other problem, yeah. You might yeah. find nobody wants to bump to move in there because of this reservoir. Correct, correct, yeah. So, uh, you know, well, you know, well... Well, let's hope not. Let's hope that's not the case. Listen, well, good luck, Adrian. Thanks so much for talking to us. There is a meeting later on this afternoon. We'll bring you the details of that around about five o'clock here on Talk Radio because, of course, uh, the bottom line here is that the safety of the people living there is paramount. But if it turns out that we've got another situation here like we had at Gatwick, for example, last uh, Christmas when there was a drone, there wasn't a drone, we don't know if there was a drone, there might have been a drone, it might have been our own drone, uh, but we better shut the airport down for about a week. That is the sort of health and safety craziness that we don't need. Now, there will be those of you out there saying, oh, come on, Mike, you can't take chances with this kind of thing. And yes, that's true. But surely the point about this whole ridiculous story is that they should have been keeping the uh, reservoir in good order before any of this happened. And this has happened purely and simply because the reservoir was actually dilapidated and had been completely and utterly abandoned and ignored for centuries or certainly decades. Nobody had done anything. There was grass growing out of it. And the dam wasn't fit for purpose. You know, the whole thing is a shambles. But if I was made to evacuate my property and live away for a week when it turned out that didn't need to be the case, I wouldn't be too happy about it. What a great song that is. Apologies to anyone who's a Hearts fan uh, up in Edinburgh having to listen to that because, of course, it is the tune uh, that rings around the Hibernian's Easter Road football ground uh, when the season is in full swing. We're going to talk to Tommy Shepherd now, SNP MP for Edinburgh East. He'll know that song very well. Tommy, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you, Mike. Thank and you. Of course, uh, Hips is in my constituency. Yes, well, it's a great part of the world is Leith. I was up there, in fact, um, I stayed in Leith last time I was up there for the Edinburgh Festival because, of course, you're all terribly excited about this poll by Lord Ashcroft. I mean, who knew that the SNP and Lord Ashcroft would become bosom buddies? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say we're bosom buddies. I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm uh, terribly excited. I mean, it is only one poll, but uh, it is significant, I think, uh, not just because it shows a majority support for the proposition of independence, but it also, for the first time, shows a clear majority of people saying that we should ask that question sooner rather than later. 
And in that sense, it does signal a change that's been taking place over the, over the last few months in Scotland. Yeah, I do keep hearing this from, from your fellow colleagues in the SNP. The only thing, the only proviso I have, I'm only going to say this once and then we'll forget about it, is that um, a, a friend of mine who runs a polling company said that any poll with less than 2,000 people taking part in it is not really worth the paper it's written on. And this one has 1,019. So that's my slight sort of, you know, caveat, if you like, and not taking it too seriously. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, look, you know, we shouldn't... I mean, there's only one poll that matters at the end of the day, as people keep saying, and that's uh, the ones in the ballot box. Yes. But, you know, but you, 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 you know, they are an indicator of things. I mean, that, that sample size is about standard for uh, for an opinion poll. That's what their comrades and uh, Ipsos Mori and the other... That's why they keep getting it wrong. It, so. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, but, I mean, I think the important thing about polls, Mike, is to look at the trends that are within them. And uh, this poll signifies uh, that there is a trend happening in Scotland where opinion is very much on the move yes. uh, about the question. Well, I mean, all I would say, Tommy, is, and I've, I, you know, I've, I've spoken to many, many of your of your colleagues. Mr. Blackford's a regular guest on this show. Nicholas Sturgeon uh, has yet to come on, even though she keeps promising to do so. You'll have to have a word with her, please. Quite, she's quite busy, Mike. I know that, but you know, <laughs> well, we're quite busy here as well. You know, don't forget. Uh, and I used to drink with her in Regano's, as you can remind her, uh, many, many years ago. But here's the thing. Okay. Um, the problem I get when I do a sort of a straw poll on Twitter, which is also not particularly scientific either, is I get an awful lot of people saying, yes, it's time, we're ready. But I also get about an equal number saying, you know, well, actually, no, they're not speaking for everybody in Scotland. And it's a bit like, um, I suppose you might say, the, the leave and remain uh, situation. It's not much more than 50-50 at any one time, is it? Yeah, look, I'm not disputing the fact opinion is divided. Of course there is. I mean, there's a large number of people uh, who are not enamoured by the, the concept of independence at all. Some of them are probably never going to change their mind because they hold their opinions for, you know, for legitimate political and ideological reasons, and I'm not going to be able to persuade them. But there's a, quite a number of people now who voted no in 2014 uh, to, uh, against independence who are open to the idea in a way that they weren't before because of the changes that are taking place in the United Kingdom, and particularly with relation to Brexit, because that's something, obviously, that, you know, where Scotland has a very dramatic uh, difference of opinion with people in the rest of the United Kingdom. Well, not everybody, some, right? I mean, it's 60-40, slightly bigger margin, but that's the other problem, oh, no, isn't no, it? No, that... no, 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 Mike. Oh, Mike, Mike, it was 62-38 at the time, and if you look at the consistently at the opinion polls now, I mean, not just one, but all of them, you'll find it's more like 70-30 against leaving the European Union. Yeah, well, that may well be. But the point is, is that as, as, of, as, as of at the moment, we are still part of the United Kingdom. Um, if indeed, in, and many people now believe this will happen, you will get um, a, a leave scenario happening on the 31st of October. So by the 1st of November, we will be out of the European Union, do or die. Uh, then there might be a general election. And then uh, you can, I suppose, start agitating for, for another referendum. Uh, well, I mean, we, we had an election in Scotland in 2016, and all of the political parties here put their views in the second referendum, and it was very much a hot topic of that election campaign. And the SNP, uh, with support from the Green Party, won a majority of seats in that election and formed the government at Holyrood. So I think, you know, the people have already been consulted on whether or not they do want another referendum in the Scottish uh, question of Scottish independence, and they've said yes. So the irony is that actually the... The SNP government in Scotland has a mandate to go ahead with a referendum on the question of independence, but the Boris Johnson government in London does not have a mandate to go ahead with a hard deal uh, or a no-deal Brexit. Well, there's a sort of a, a, a mixed-up logic there, isn't there? Because you've just told us that there is now um, a, a, some kind of a mandate for a second referendum in Scotland, uh, but the referendum we've already had gives him no mandate to leave the European Union. 
it gives him no mandate to leave without a deal. That's not true. The, 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 people, no, the people who campaigned to leave the EU and who won a slim majority in 2016 were saying that they wanted to leave in an orderly fashion, that they wanted yeah, to they remain. Yeah, they do. Well, that's what they're still saying. saying. They're still saying that. Well, really, it doesn't look like it at the moment from where we sit. Well, it may not look like it, but they're still saying that they want to leave with a deal. But they're also saying that they will be prepared to leave without a deal if the European Union chooses to be intransigent well, and chooses Mike, not to be in any way helpful. That's what, that's what Boris Johnson says, Mike, but you judge people by what they do. Right. And from, from the look uh, of, of what he's actually done and his refusal to enter into discussions with the European Union and setting these you know, quite impossible uh, preconditions to any talks taking place, it looks like he is prepared to go ahead with a no-deal Well, he's Brexit. not talking and, to, and, and, well, he's not uh, talking to them, Tommy, die. because they said they weren't going to negotiate, they weren't going to renegotiate, they said they would not reopen the withdrawal agreement. So what's no, the point no, of talking to them? Well, no, Mike, he said... That's that he what they said. Talk, no, he said that they, he would only talk to the EU if they dropped... The whole question yeah. of the of the of yes, the Irish, but that was after that, but that well, was after they know, said, but know, that was after they said they wouldn't change the withdrawal <coughs> agreement. Well, you know, should should he not actually be discussing this with them and see if well, not after they've said they won't. Well, they've already said they won't. Well, no, they've said they won't discuss it. Therefore, he says in that case, well, there's no point in us talking unless you're willing to drop the the the, the backstop. Yeah, well, he's setting a precondition where he's set the outcome that he wants as a precondition for having talks, and that's not something well, that any negotiation... We'll, have to anyway, just, well, I, we'll be stuck I, on this for ages, the because point, they, have, they have set the, the precondition is, by saying they're not talking about it. The point, the point is that Boris Johnson doesn't represent people in Scotland with knobs on, and he is actually turbocharging the gulf between Scotland and the rest of the United Kingdom, and he is fueling the, ca the case for Scottish independence by every... Day he holds in office. Now I want to. Do you think he's him. working hand in glove with Lord Ashcroft? Maybe he's doing it deliberately. <laughs> no, I don't think. I'm not a conspiracy <laughs> theorist, Mike. Uh, but uh, let me say also, you know, our determination, of course, is to try and prevent Brexit happening, and certainly to prevent a, a, a No Deal Brexit happening. And when we get back in September into Parliament, we'll be working with other opposition parties to try and achieve that end. Don't and you I think, think that's undemocratic, though, considering that the, the bulk of the people of Britain have voted to leave? Well, I was elected to represent the people of Edinburgh East, and they gave me a very clear mandate what to do. They don't want Brexit, and they want me to vote against it. So that's what I will do. And if a majority in Parliament take that considered view, then we live in a parliamentary democracy, and that should count for something. My prediction Well, then you're working more towards getting a no deal than anybody in that case, because that's what's, well, that's what's going to be the outcome. Well, to be honest, my prediction would be that if that scenario appears to be the one that's going to happen, then Boris Johnson is likely to preempt that and dissolve Parliament and call an election himself. So I think we are 50-50 on for an October election at this point. In time. I think, I think that's probably right. And the next <coughs> thing he wants to do is to annex Scotland, give it independence, and that way Labour will never get into power ever again and the SNP will cease to be a problem in Westminster. I'm not sure if annex is the right term I would, uh, would, would use. Uh, well, was, you know, it'd be very interesting to see what the outcome of the general election would be in the United Kingdom. There's going to be all sorts of weird splits and uh, realignments happening in England. And in Scotland, the SNP goes into the election in pole position and looking to increase our representation. And we shall certainly be demanding that the UK Parliament respect the right of the Scottish Parliament to consult people on their constitutional future, because at the end of the day, this decision isn't... Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.